Good morning, church. Good morning, Billy. It's good to see you. We've been praying for the whole Mitchell family for a long time, and God's doing beautiful work in your family, isn't he? Yeah. Scripture passage this morning, church family, comes from Luke 21, 5 to 38, and I'll ask that you turn there, and then I'm just going to introduce us to that passage for a minute or two before we read it together, because this passage deals with the end, the end of Jerusalem, the end of the temple, and the end of the world, and they're all kind of commingled together, and it can be a little bit confusing to read through this passage. Uh, first glance over. So we'll we'll pick it apart piece by piece to see what's already happened and what's yet to come. But before we do that, I want to say just a word about prophecy and how prophecy works and um, how it is that God gives us insight and understanding into it. So what's the page number for anyone that's still looking? 1636. Okay, thank you. So The Old Testament is broken into three parts. We call those parts the law, first five books of Moses, the law or the way, the prophets, and the writings. And uh, over half the Old Testament is prophetic writing. It is people that are receiving messages from God and speaking them both to his people and to the world. And those messages include many, many different sort of pictures of things that God's going to do. So the prophets talked about a day when God would judge the world. He would come and visit the world and he would, he would eradicate evil. They talked about a day when people would take their swords and their plowshares and they would beat them uh, because they weren't going to need, or take their swords and beat them into plowshares because they weren't going to need swords anymore because there wasn't going to be war anymore. So the prophets could look ahead and see that a day was going to come when there wasn't going to be ethnic hatred. There wasn't going to be nation against nation. The prophets looked forward and they could see a day when God would pour out his Holy Spirit in such abundant measure that all his people would prophesy, men and women. They looked forward and they saw a day when God would take hard hearts, hearts of stone, and he'd replace them. And he'd make them hearts of flesh that loved God. They saw a day when justice rolled like a river. Like wine on the mountains is the image they used. The prophets saw a lot of things. And when the prophets prophesied those things, it was kind of like this. Don't, don't worry about the distraction over there, okay? Just stay with me. The prophets, the prophets looked like this. We'll just pretend that cross is a mountain range. We don't, we don't have mountains here in Michigan. But um, we'll pretend that we're looking at the Rockies. And when you stand and you look at the Rockies from a long distance, all you can see is a big range jutting up across the landscape. And you can see that that mountain range has different peaks. But you can't tell, looking at it, how far apart those peaks are. You can't tell what's in between them. You can't separate them. You can see the picture, but you can't tell up close exactly what's in that range. 
So these prophets in the Old Testament that are looking ahead and that are prophesying about what God's going to do in the future of his people and of the world and of the end, it's like they're looking ahead at a mountain range, a picture. But they can't tease apart just what happens when. Which is why um, the passage that we always come back to here, Isaiah 61, it's got this line in it that says, um, the day... Let's just read it together real quick. Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, it's Jesus, because the Lord's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for people that are trapped in prisons. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, or the time, year means time, time of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God. And when Jesus picked up the scroll and he read it in Luke 4, he stopped after the year of the Lord's favor. He stopped right there. Because it wasn't the time for vengeance of God to be poured out against evil. That wasn't the time where God was judging. And so our Old Testament professor said, never put a period where God puts a comma. Or never put, never put a comma where God doesn't put one. In other words, it takes wisdom, it takes revelation from the Lord to know what's going to happen when. And so we're going to see Jesus unfolding a little bit of that in Luke this morning. He's going to be teaching us about what happens when and how we should be prepared for that. So turn with me to Luke chapter 21. Wrong Bible. Some of Jesus' disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, When will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place. He replied, Watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, claiming, I'm he, I'm the Messiah, and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, But the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will persecute. They will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues, And put you in prison, and you'll be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand 
how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by your parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they'll put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out and let those in the country not enter the city. For that is the time of punishment in fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles, that's non-Jews, until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, let me just say this real quick, there's a lot of debate about what this generation means uh, because it can have multiple meanings, but commentators think that probably it means this type of people, meaning the type of people who ask for signs, because that's what's been asked for, and yet don't respond appropriately to Jesus. So he's not talking about like, you know, grandparents to parents to children, that kind of generation. He's talking about a kind of people. So truly I tell you, this kind of people will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing. That's an old word for partying. Drunkenness and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will, will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Each day Jesus was teaching at the temple and each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. 
the word of God. All right. Who remembers getting ready for school in the morning? You remember that? Who remembers alarm clocks going off and a fog and maybe some of you had a mom or a dad that would come in and go, rise and shine and yeah, you did? Okay. I got cups of cold water sometimes. Yeah. And uh, the miseries of trying to get ready that hour, hour and a half, or whatever it was. Well, we just entered into that time as a family. We have been homeschooling for the last four years or so and felt led by the Lord to enroll our kids at Westside Christian School this fall. And so our kids get on the bus at 8, 10 in the morning. And <clears throat> they aren't so... They don't have their eyes so much locked in on 8.10, but from about 7 o'clock, we've got our eyes set on 8.10. And so we are sort of hovering over and helping around and uh, trying to get the process of all the things that need to happen. And we, they, they've each got their own particular things, and I'm not going to go into too much detail, but someone's got a certain bodily function that needs to happen, and it just seems to be near the last minute, and so we try to move that one faster, and this one just seems to place their papers and their things in a not one spot but all over and so every day you've got to kind of manage this process right because when the bus comes it's too late now here's the thing i was led to reflect on that this week because uh, because i've watched myself like like not an out of body experience but but like i've watched myself engaging in this process and i've watched them over the last month and i've been thinking Like, I have such an urgency about this, and they have none. And what are they thinking when every day we're kind of harping on the same things, and and like, do we sound alarmist to them, you know? Because they just don't seem to be feeling the urgency that we're feeling, except when it turns the corner and it's coming down the street. Then all of a sudden, then, oh my goodness, but I forgot about this, and I didn't do that, and all of a sudden they're urgent, right? Well, the time to be urgent is not when the bus is coming around the corner. The time to be urgent, the time to listen, is when the bus is, half, when the bus is picking up the Houtstra kids 45 minutes earlier. That's when my kids want to be listening. The time to listen is the time of peace. The time to listen is when the hurricane is a week away. The time to prepare is when hurricane is hitting Haiti, not when it's two hours from Florida. And I watched this morning, I looked at dozens and dozens of pictures of people stuck, people drowning because they did not leave. Because they thought the governor was too alarmist, that the rhetoric was too great. Oh, it won't be that bad. Oh, we don't have to leave. Oh, we don't have to pay attention. So, what time is it now? For us, what time is it? Well, Jesus is not here. I mean, he's not back in bodily. He's not bodily returned this text hasn't been fulfilled all of it some of it has and we'll talk about that so now's the time right now 
when we're not feeling urgency, now's the time for us to listen. Okay. So Jesus begins, this is the last sort of speech or the last thing that Jesus is publicly saying before he's arrested. We're going to go into his, the story of his death, his crucifixion and his resurrection. These are his last words, his last warning. And the way that it begins is uh, we're coming out of the text that Jalisa preached last week where Jesus is giving instruction to his followers about how to discern. He's preparing them to lead. And apparently somebody, they're watching this widow put their money in the temple and somebody wants to make a comment about the temple, uh, how beautiful it is. And, And it really seems irrelevant, but Jesus who has seen who has prophetic insight from God the Father, from the Holy Spirit as to what's going to happen. And Jesus, who like a parent wanting to prepare their children, loves them, does not want them to be caught unaware. Jesus uses that opportunity to start to speak, to prepare his followers for what's to come. And he says, you know what? Not one of these stones is going to be left on top of another one. Now, when when he says stones, maybe you picture something like this or something like this, but these temple stones are like this and like this. And so for one of those stones to not be left on top of another means a lot. It means somebody's come into this city of one million plus people when it swells and taken it over. It means destruction. It means attack. It means so much more than a a wind came and blew the temple over. It means the city's going to be overrun. Judgment's coming. And so they're hearing this and they're thinking, oh my goodness, I think he's talking about the day of the Lord. The Old Testament talks, remember I said, the day of the Lord, God's judgment, the time when he'd come. And so they say to him, Lord, when will this happen? And the most interesting thing is Jesus doesn't start talking first about when that will happen. He says, he starts, actually, he starts with the end of the world. The next piece that follows If you look at your text, when Jesus begins to answer, is not about then, it's about the end of the world. He says, watch out that nobody deceives you. A lot of people are going to come in my name. A lot of people are going to make predictions like they know the end of the world or they're speaking in for me. And he says, watch out. Don't follow them. There's going to be wars, uprisings. Don't be frightened. These things must happen first. Nation will rise against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. Earthquakes, famines, pestilences, various various places. And what he's doing here is he's speaking generically enough that nobody can predict what he's talking about. But he's also speaking specifically enough that we can pay attention and begin to see as these things are happening. So that's how he speaks about the end and the things that must happen. And then he says, before these things happen, this is what will happen to you. And so from here, from verse 12, all the way through to the end of 24, he's now talking about what's going to happen in their generation. You are going to be seized. You're going to be persecuted. You are going to be betrayed. There's going to be great pressure from within, Jews, and from without, Romans. And and he says to them, I I want you to be, um, not to be unaware, but I want you to be strengthened and comforted, and you don't even need to plan ahead. I'll be so present with you that I'll give you exactly what to say. You will have all the wisdom you need, and you will be so kept safe in the palm of my hand that you won't lose a hair from your head even as you die. Now think about that. You might die, but you won't lose a hair from your head. 
There is such safety and such security in belonging to the Lord that you can die and not lose a hair from your head. The bo- life is more than the body. You look at me and you see a body, but this body is not my life and that body is not your life. And if the body is killed, your life goes on. And Jesus says, you're so safe with me. There's nothing that can happen to you that you can be separated from me. That's why Paul says in Romans 8, nothing, I'm convinced, nothing that can happen to you can separate you ever from the love of God in Christ Jesus. But you got to know that ahead of time. You've got to be strengthened in that. Otherwise, when that something starts to happen, you will feel like an abandoned orphan child going, why is this all happening? What God, where are you? And Jesus is saying, you don't ever have to say, God, where are you? When you're mine and you belong to me, nothing can separate you from me. Your hairs on your head will go unsinged even as they, in that generation, burn you at the stake. That's secure. And he's preparing them because he loves them. He loves them. Every one of them. And he moves from preparing them to talk about what's going to happen to Jerusalem and why some of them are going to lose their lives there. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by enemies, this is not the end time. This is 70 AD. What happened was the the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem rose up. They got arrogant. They rebelled against the Romans. The Roman emperor sent an entire army They surrounded the city, and historians say they slaughtered it. One to two million people died. They destroyed the temple. They destroyed everything and everyone into captivity. So it's happened. And Jerusalem has never belonged to the Jews fully since. Because the time of the Gentiles has not ended. Scripture talks about at the end, there will be a return of the Jews. At the end, right before Christ's coming, there will be a, a move of God, a large move of God to return Jews to faith in Jesus Christ. That's not happened yet. So Jesus prophesies about that time, that's going to be about 40 years later, talks about how difficult it will be, and he says, if you see this happening, get out, get away from Jerusalem. Then he moves, and he begins in verse 25 to talk, now we're talking again about the end and about his return. And again he speaks in generic signs, and he says there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. And I thought, how interesting, Lord, that you gave us this text today. We've just gone through that. And in fact, we've, it's, it's been happening a lot the last decade. Some of you will remember the tsunami in 2004-05 that killed hundreds of thousands of people and weren't the nations in anguish. So it leads me to wonder. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what's coming. At that time, they'll see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power. So there's sort of a progression of these things happening. And then there's this visible revelation of Jesus, him coming back. And he says, when these things begin to take place, Stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is near. In other words, that redemption is not salvation, the forgiveness of sins. That redemption is your vindication because you've been believing on me. You've been following me. You've been claiming that I'm Lord of heaven and earth 
even as you've been persecuted, even as immorality and unrighteousness has grown, you have been faithful to me and it's caused you suffering and trouble. And so you don't have to have your head down. You can lift it up and be proud. Your vindication, your redemption is coming. When you see these things start to happen, lift up your heads. And then he says, uh, it gives this parable of fig tree and about the signs that they can begin to tell uh, when this is going to happen and just shift down to verse 34 because this is where I want to land and speak for a few minutes about his application to us. Jesus says, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing or partying, drunkenness, anxieties of life and that day will close on you suddenly like a trap for it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. And so he says, be always on the watch and pray that you may, and to them, be able to escape all that's about to happen, but that that was for them. For us, it's that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. So be careful or your hearts will be weighed down. When I began to reflect on this, I thought, Lord, at first, I thought, this doesn't make sense. Uh, most of your church that I know isn't struggling with partying and with drunkenness. I mean, I, I know that there's some here who are struggling with that. But, but most of us aren't struggling with, with partying, with drunkenness. Anxieties of life, yes. But as I began to reflect on it and um, let the Lord bring me back to that time in my life when that was a description of, the way that I used to live 20-some years ago, I thought, I thought to myself, okay, this makes sense because when you're partying and when you're getting drunk, you're not thinking about tomorrow. So nobody says to themselves, you know what, i got a great idea. Let's go get drunk tonight so that we can wake up with a splitting headache tomorrow and um, maybe not know where we just slept last night and what we did because we blacked out. Nobody says that, do they? You don't, no. When you get drunk, when you party like this, you're thinking about now, only now. So Jesus is giving this this example of drunkenness and partying as sort of a the, the, the consummation of having lost hope. Because if you're only thinking about now, you're living without purpose and without hope. And so drunkenness and partying aren't the only symptoms of that. They're just the ultimate ones. Okay? But there's a lot of symptoms of living without hope. Because drunkenness and partying are just one way of trying to numb ourselves, fill ourselves, or eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Or tomorrow we don't know. Or whatever. But I'm living... For now, it's one symptom of living for now, living without hope. Where is our hope? Well, how would we know what our hope was in? What do you, what do you hope for when you wake up in the morning? Do you hope, I hope it's a good, I hope I get through this day. I hope, I hope my job this, I hope this relationship that, I hope... Those are good hopes to have. But if that's what we're waking up 
hoping for. I hope that's hope that will be disappointed. That's hope that won't be fulfilled. When Jesus is speaking to these disciples first and telling them, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down. Well, that means they've got to get weighed down from something, right? So what had their... Let's just step back for a sec before we think about ourselves. What, what had lifted their hearts up? Why were their hearts not weighed down in the presence of Jesus? Their hearts were lifted up because they believed not only that he was God's Messiah, but that everything that the scriptures from the beginning said about the Messiah was about to happen. What did the scriptures say about the Messiah? What would he do? Well, we talk about it all the time in Isaiah 61 about binding up broken hearts and and setting captives free and bringing hope and taking away despair and bringing praise and comforting those who mourn. But what else did they say he would do? We look at Revelation 21 where there's a John. John has this picture in this prophecy of the end where he says, I see new heavens and a new earth. And in them there's no more crying, there's no more pain, there's no more suffering, for the old order of things has passed away. And Jesus says, look, I'm making all things new. But John 21 isn't the first place that that's spoken of. John's words are a description of what the prophet Isaiah saw 700 years before Jesus Christ Read Isaiah 65 that's subtitled New Heavens and a New Earth. The messianic expectation was that when God's Redeemer would come, He would cleanse. He would eradicate. Healing wouldn't just be for individuals, it would be for the whole creation. He would destroy our enemy, Satan. He would destroy evil. He would cleanse our hearts. He would redeem the whole world. So the messianic hope was that justice and righteousness would fill the earth. There would be no more ethnic divides, divides between men and women. There would be no more relationship turmoil. There would be no more death, like we touched on a couple weeks ago. That was the messianic hope, that the Redeemer would deliver God's people into this new creation. And so the disciples are on the edge of their seats and they're on their toes going, it's here and it's coming. It's coming. And they're living for it. They're praying for it. They're working for it. They're proclaiming the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, don't let your hearts get weighed down. Because Jesus knows what they don't. That it isn't going to come as soon as they expect it to come. When my children wait for the bus, they have a limited attention span. They stand on the corner and at 30 seconds or a minute and we've got to get a ball, we've got to do something because their eyes aren't really fixed on the bus. They're just waiting there because they've been told to wait. But what if their eyes, what if their eyes we're not just on the bus. What if their eyes were on where the bus was taking them? What if they had a class trip to Michigan Adventures scheduled? 
And catching the bus meant you were going to Michigan Adventures today. I bet that Michigan Adventures would be enough to hold their attention. I bet that they would be able to hold their place, to hold their focus. I bet that if one of them started to wander, another one might even say, hey, you don't want to miss Michigan Adventures. We're going to Michigan. You know, see the hope of what's ahead yearning for what's ahead would shape the way they live and act in the present, even if it's only five minutes. This is why Jesus says, be always on the watch and be in prayer. Why? So we can look spiritual? No, because you can only pray for what you hope for. And you can only hope for what you desire. If you desire, if your heart's desire is Jesus Christ coming again, and the consummation of his kingdom, you will pray for it. And if you will pray for it, it will shape the way that you live right now. And Jesus' return won't be some pipe dream, some utopian idea that you don't think about very often, except in moments of crises, or need for comfort, or death. But actually it will shape your entire life. You can only hope for what you desire. And so Jesus calls us to desire and to pray. Be always on the watch and pray. The Bible ends with the words, Come, Lord Jesus. The Spirit and the Bride, your church, say, Come, come, Lord Jesus. You say, well, Pastor, what about 2,000 years of Christians? that have not seen Jesus come. What about them? Well, I tell you two things. One, they've all met him, and some of them have not been ready. And two, it's not about necessarily having that hope fulfilled before we die. It's about how that hope shapes the way that we live here and now. Because if you have that hope, then in some way, shape, form, or another, that will translate into a life that is concerned with the things that Pastor Gina raised at the beginning of prayer. The, the hundreds of thousands of women across the world that are being trafficked every day. It's not all of our call to go minister to them or pay for the organizations that are ministering to them. But it is some of ours and we will care about them that we don't know that are being sold and beaten and treated as sex slaves. This is practical. This isn't about just being spiritual like in a way that's disconnected from this world. Be careful that your hearts are not weighed down. Drunkenness, with carousing, with the anxieties of this life. If your hearts are weighed down, pressed down, struggling for hope, what that means is that you are actually hoping in this life and in this world. You are hoping, or we are hoping, for a version of heaven on earth that doesn't include Jesus' return 
and what he's going to accomplish at his return. Let the Lord speak to you about that. Because no Christian has to live ever with a weighed down heart. Now, do we lament? Yes. Do we grieve? Yes. But what does the Bible say? Not as those without hope. This is why the scripture says, Paul says, May the God of eternal encouragement and good hope strengthen your hearts. So we can be in grief and in pain and lament and strong in the hope of Jesus. Those can be partnered together. Strong in the hope of Jesus. Right? When mom's struggling, it's painful. But strong in hope. She's going to be with Jesus soon. And our hope is in not in her physical condition right now. This is why Paul can say to us, For me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. I die, I'm with him. I live, I live for him. So, let's ask the Lord this morning to nurture within us this to live as Christ, to hunger for Christ and his kingdom. Let's um, ask him to stir up hope even as we sing our song of response. But let's also allow him to show us what we're hoping in right now. Lest our hope Lest our hope be disappointed or lest, lest we be one who, coming face to face with him, are not prepared. If we live hungry for Jesus. Now look, you see me going hungry and you think, I can't sustain that kind of zeal or enthusiasm 24-7. And I'm telling you, it's not your, you don't need to. It's not your responsibility. Your and my responsibility is to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. And his kingdom. He will produce the zeal. He'll produce the hunger. And you don't need to look and sound like this all the time. But you need to live with hope all the time. And with eyes on Jesus all the time. Right? Amen? Amen. Okay. Well, let's, let's stand and sing and pray. And um, worship the Lord who's coming. And I, um, just as we, just as we enter, in, this is not everybody here, but some of us um, right here, right now, if this were the moment that Jesus took us, we'd not be ready to stand before him. We'd be ashamed. And so if that's you, don't let this moment pass you by. Um, get on your knees or on your face before the cross. Uh, call out to the Lord. Come to prayer partners after the service. But there is no reason that anybody in this place should leave today with anything except joy and anticipation about seeing Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. All right, let's sing.